Revelation chapter 4, a really cool chapter. And in this chapter, I will tell you, I think the theme is the throne of God. Because in this one chapter that only has 11 verses, the throne is mentioned 13 times. And so, you know, it's important for us to know that God is on the throne. You know, our, our governor is not on the throne. I mean, you know, the devil's not on the throne. Man's not on the throne. God is on the throne. And I don't know if that makes any difference to you or not, but to me, it really helps a lot to know that truth. You know, the other day, my wife went into the endodontist because uh, she had an infection in her mouth that was actually traveling to other portions of her body, even her eye, and she was feeling it, you know. And so she went to the endodontist to have a root canal. And so while she's in there, I'm in the waiting room, I can hear another little girl who's having a root canal. I can hear her crying. My heart just went out to her. She's like seven or eight years old, and she's like hysterical, and she's paranoid, and she's just crying, and this is loud, and man, I'm just praying for her. And so finally, the, the, the nurse or whatever, the lady comes out, and she says, uh, Sir, you have to come and, and calm your daughter down, because if she doesn't calm down, we can't do this procedure on her. And so the dad went over and basically you know, tried to convince her that, you know, this is good for her, that your, your daddy knows best, that your father, yeah, I have your best interest in mind, mija, it might hurt, and yes, it is inconvenient, and yes, there are things about this procedure that you're too young to understand, but trust me, trust me, mija. And it was just so cool because, you know, she, you know, did eventually calm down, and uh, I was just thinking about that whole thing about how you know, we look at our world today, and it's not just, you know, what's going on in the world out there, because I'd be like, the world out there is crazy. But for some of you, it's the world in here. It's the things that no one knows but you and God, and it's things inside of you. And, and all I can say is it's good to know that God's on the throne, that your Father, who has allowed these things, you can trust him. Because if my wife didn't go in there and get that procedure done, I don't know if the dentist was trying to scare her or not, but he said, you, you might die. And so she came home that night. She said, I'm dying that night. <laughs> you know how they try to milk it. No, I'm just joking. Anyways, um, <laughs> you know, um, so she goes, and, and here's the difference. Okay, so she goes, and yeah, she's scared, but she's calm because she knows that she's doing the right thing. And that's how we have to go into this. And I will say this, because we're living in the last of the last days. I believe that with all my heart, that Jesus is coming. And I could be wrong. Maybe it's not going to be in my lifetime, but I believe it is going to be within our lifetime. And because of that, because of that, we must worship him. And the way that we worship him, the way that we worship him is not just singing, although that's part of it, it's working. And we're going to see that that's what this whole thing, it, we see these angels and we see the church and we see everybody, they're just working because they want to win people to the Lord. So let's read here in Revelation 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, 
And the first voice, which I heard, was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat on the throne was like a, a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance, like an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And, and from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is, here it is, and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. And so I believe in looking at this, that John was allowed to go into the future, go into heaven, and see an actual heavenly scene. There we read in verse 1, he says, after these things. After what things? After the church age. As a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter 1 in verse 19, we have the outline to the book of Revelation. Notice what it says in Revelation 1.19. He says, Jesus says to John, write the things which you have seen, which is chapter 1. That was the vision of Christ. And the things which are, that's chapters 2 and 3. That's the whole church age. And the things which will take place after this. In the Greek, the word is metatauta. Now, in chapter 4, verse 1, you have metatauta after these things, after the church age. Pastor Rich taught on it last week, the rapture of the church. How is it going to happen? How is Jesus going to do it? Just like we read right here, the door is going to be open. We're going to be looking up. We're going to be looking for his eminent return. That door is open. The voice and the trumpet. And what does that voice say? He simply says, come up here. And immediately, one eleventh of a second, John was there in heaven in the spirit. And, and what it is, not only is God going to show John things to come, but in the midst of all this, you see a picture of the, of the rapture of the church. And so I pray that you guys are ready for the rapture, man. I don't want you to be left behind. You know, you don't need to become tribulation saints, even if that's possible. 
And so last week, Pastor Rich talked about how we get raptured. You know, the Lord's coming. This is real. It really is. How can I know that I'm going to go at the rapture of the church when that voice, and can you hear the voice sounding like a trumpet? How can I know when Jesus says, come up here, that I'll come up here? Well, Rich shared last week. It was, this, it was just this in Genesis 5. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. You know, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves you. He died for you on the cross. You don't have to be a perfect person. All you have to do is believe and then walk with him. Every day, I will encourage you, walk with him. Enoch walked with God, it says, for 300 years. And then he had kids, and then he continued to walk with God. And then one day, boom, the Lord took him. And so here you see, interesting, how we look at the time frame. You know, John here, he looks. After these things, I looked, and behold, there was a door. And I can't help but even think of the door being Jesus. But, you know, there's this door. It's open in heaven. And, and their first voice, which I heard, was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. And so the church age ends. And now what's, what happens is the, the last seven years where God is going to deal with the nation of Israel primarily. You read Daniel 9, 24 through 27, and the Bible gave a 70-week, 77-year prophecy. And so when you really study that, what that tells you is in March 14, 445 B.C., the issue to go and restore and rebuild Jerusalem was issued. And from that point, you can count 69 seven-year periods, 483,830 days until the very day that Jesus walked in and rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. So the first 69 seven-year periods are fulfilled, and then it says that the Messiah would be killed, but not for himself. And then there's one more seven-year period. So after these things, after the Gentile age, after the church age, like Rich shared last week, after that last Gentile gets saved, then God now begins to do two things. Number one, he begins to pour out his salvation on the Jews, and God begins to judge the world. So now it's a new thing that God is doing. It's a seven-year tribulation. You know, when you look at this, we get a peek into heaven. In verse 2, John was in the spirit, and then and he saw this throne. And we don't know all the details. I mean, I don't know, would any of you here like to kind of go to heaven just to kind of check it out real quick? I mean, I think that would be kind of cool. We know Paul the Apostle was actually caught up to the third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, I know a man, whether in the body, out of the body, I'm not really sure, but he was caught up to the third heaven. Now, the third heaven is not just the atmosphere, not just the space. That's the first heaven, the second heaven. The third heaven is where God is. And so Paul was caught up to the third heaven. He couldn't share what he saw, but John is now caught up, and he is able to share the things the Lord shows him. You know, when you look at this, the first thing he sees is the throne of God, which is set, it says it's set in heaven, Literally, this throne is planted in heaven. And so, um, can you visualize that? I want you guys to try to use your imagination for a second. It doesn't really describe the throne, but the one that's sitting on the throne 
is this Jasper and Sardis. So the one on the throne is Jasper. And the closest thing that we would know of is a diamond. And so this brilliant figure that's a diamond, a little bit of a bluish hue. And then there's the Sardis, which is the reddish hue. And so just this glorious being that shines, imagine like a diamond, um, like, a, like a Sardis stone, this Jasper right there. And this is what, what John sees. Now, there are other times in the Bible where people are caught up to see the throne of God. They don't always look like this. In the book of Daniel, what we find is that um, God is shown as the Ancient of Days. And Jesus comes as the Son of Man on the clouds. And so, you know, he's looked, you know, different in Daniel. And then when you read Isaiah chapter 6, it says he saw the Lord high and lifted up and he was on this throne and then the train of his robe it filled the temple and so some people will tell you this they'll tell you that every time you know the first thing you're going to see in heaven is this revelation 4 but i'm not a hundred percent sure that's really the way it is because i believe that god reveals himself to you the way that you need to see him i believe that god reveals himself really in the context of what he's doing and what's going on in your life. And so for these two stones, the, 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 the Jasper and the Sardis, what they were is the first stone uh, 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 on the high priest's uh, breastplate of righteousness and the last stone. And each one of those stones, they represented Israel. And so it's not a coincidence that now as God begins to deal with Israel, that that's the first stone and the last stone, and that's what God looks like. Why? Because the breastplate is over the high priest's heart, and Israel is over Jesus' heart. And God begins to deal with Israel. Now he's going to save them. All those promises that he made to Israel, they're, they're now about to come true. And in the middle of the chaos and all the crazy things that lead up to the rapture. Imagine we're going to be in heaven one day and we're going to say, yeah, you guys remember the coronavirus? <laughs> you guys remember those protests, so-called peaceful protests and the, all the crazy things going on? And, and, and then we're going to look back and we're going to say, but God was on the throne the whole time. I mean, not that he authors evil, but he allows it because he's about to wrap things up, you see? And so, you know, when God reveals himself, he reveals himself in the way that we need to see him. Some of you here, you're struggling, and you, maybe you need a friend. Jesus said, I'll be your friend. I am whatever you need. I, I am the bread of life. I am your healer. I am your helper. I'm your husband. I am whatever you need. And that's why it's so important for us to understand, I think, when we're looking at this, that God is revealing himself in the context of what's going on. It's interesting. It says there in verse 3, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like uh, an emerald. And so we see the throne. We see who's on the throne. We see what's around the throne. And it begins with a, a rainbow. Now, this is different than the rainbows that we normally see because we usually see half a rainbow, but here we see a whole rainbow. And I don't know about you, how many of you guys think rainbows are pretty? 
They're just beautiful, huh? They're just absolutely beautiful. Imagine, though, this is a fallen state rainbow. Imagine what the rainbow looks like on heaven around the throne with that emerald hue, a little bit of green, green symbolizing life. It's a real just amazing thing that one day we're going to see. Now, some, again, now we've got to try to look at this in context. Well, what about the rainbow? What, what is that all about? Well, you know, the rainbow was first introduced to us in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 9, verses 12 through 17. And the rainbow was a promise that God gave to the world that said, I will never destroy the earth through a flood again. And so that was his covenant. You know, he, everything that went on, God saw, God was on the throne. Psalm 29, 10 says, even in the midst of the flood, God was on the throne. But the interesting thing about it is that the rainbow, and not only tells us that God won't destroy the world with a flood, but be honest, be honest. It also tells you that he has judged the world before. Some say, well, God would never do that. God is a God of love. He would never do that. Well, just look at the rainbow. It actually tells you that God has judge the world and he won't judge the world again through flood but he will judge the world through fire now it's interesting and again i don't want to get weird and i don't want to read too much into it but i don't know like god is a god who does know everything that's going to happen in advance and there is a an organization today the lgbt community that has you know hijacked the rainbow to themselves. I don't know who gave them the right to do that, but they have done that. But even in that, what we see is God, I think, if they would listen and open up their eyes, they would listen that God has judged the whole world before, and he will do it again. And in the days that we're living in, where this is getting just louder and louder and the sexual sin is just horrible. It's not a coincidence to me that when the rapture of the church happens and God begins to judge the world, that there's a rainbow in that context. And so, so you look at this, and, and then around the throne, there's these, there's these 24 thrones, and on the thrones sat 24 elders with these white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And so, I, I don't know for sure, I think that there's a throne, and there's a rainbow around the throne this way, and then there's 24 thrones around it this way. These are lesser thrones, and on these thrones are 24 elders. They're clothed in white robes of righteousness, and they have these crowns of gold in which they cast before God's throne. We're going to see that in verse 10. Now, some have called this the king's court, and some see it as angelic beings, but I don't think that's a possibility because when you look at these elders right here, they seem to possess human characteristics of individuals that have been redeemed by God. Now, angels have not been redeemed. There was a time when angels had a choice. You want to follow God? You choose to follow God. If you don't want to follow God, it says in Revelation 12, 9, that Satan drew a third of the angels with him, and they were given that choice, and they became demons, and they followed Satan. 
So angels don't know what grace is. They, don't have, they have not experienced what we have experienced. We have sinned. We have fallen short. We have separated ourselves from God. We nailed him to a cross. But he died for us. And he loves us. And he redeemed us. And you know, I want to just make sure that you know what grace is. Listen, none of us deserve blessing. But your God, he will bless you. He is so good. See, we know what grace is. I know what I deserve. But God has blessed my life. The angels don't know that. You know, later on, we're going to see in Revelation chapter 4 that they worship God for who he is. He is the creator. But in chapter 5, they worship him for what he's done. He is the redeemer. Our creator loved us so much that he was the lamb slaughtered for our sins. And so it's interesting when you look at this whole thing and you're, well, who are the elders? Some say they're angels. No, they can't be angels. They have to be people. We see here that, first of all, they possess these crowns. And the Bible speaks frequently about us being able to earn crowns. In 2 Timothy 4.8 or James 1.12 or 1 Peter 5.4, Revelation 2.10, and, and secondly, we see that these 24 elders are on these thrones. Revelation 3.21 says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And so these are promises made to the redeemed. You can earn crowns. We can sit on thrones. And, and we're going to serve the Lord in that way. Uh, we see, thirdly, that they worship God for creation and redemption. We see, fourthly, that they're clothed in white. And Revelation 19.8 talks about the saints who are clothed in white. And so who sits on these 24 uh, thrones? They're people who have been redeemed. But you might wonder, well, who? Now, we don't know for sure. Who knows? Maybe you'll sit on one of those thrones. I don't know. I don't know. Um, some say that it's just a generic example of the church, and they point to the Second Chronicles 24, which gives the whole uh, um, package as far as the priests who summarize the entirety of the priesthood. And Revelation 1.6 says that we are kings and priests. So some say it represents just all the redeemed, but I think, and I could be wrong, but I have a hunch that when we look at these 24 thrones, we're going to see the 12 sons of Israel, and we're going to see the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. I have a feeling, I could be wrong, but more than likely those are the elders that sit on those 24 thrones. 12 is a number of government in the Bible, and what we find is that um, the Lord promised to the apostles that they would sit with him on thrones, and we see even in the book of Revelation that the 12 names of the patriarchs are on the gates of Jerusalem, the 12 gates, and the 12 names of the apostles are on the foundations of the walls. And so, again, something special that we see going on there. So we see the throne. We see who's on the throne. We see what's around the throne. And then we see the things that take place from the throne. Look at verse 5. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, 
which are the seven spirits of God. And so, have any of you guys ever been, sometimes it's back east, you know, where they have these crazy, crazy, crazy thunderstorms? I mean, we have little ones here, and we get all afraid, you know? But imagine the, the lightning and the thundering from the throne of God. Imagine how amazing that must be. You know, we see an example of that in Exodus chapter 19, the thunderings and lightnings and all that stuff. You know, but here we see it's in heaven. And, and you might wonder, well, what is that all about? What, what is it just God, like, you know, having fun? I mean, I think that what we're seeing here, and again, you have to consider the context, is that God is answering our prayers. We've been praying. Thy kingdom Thy will be done. We've been praying for righteousness. We've been praying for salvation. We've been praying for justice. We've been praying for King Jesus to rule. Right? And what we find is that this lightnings and thunderings and the voices, it's all about God moving again. And I, and I believe this with all my heart, that God's going to move in a big way in our world but I believe that God's going to move a big way in your world. Listen, God is not just some generic God ruling over the planet. No, he's a God of individuals and people. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but I pray that you would know the God of thunder and the God of lightning and the God of voices and the God who sits on the throne and the God who's in complete control. And you're like, well, how can I you know, get any of that you know, on my behalf? And the answer is actually in Revelation chapter 8. Watch, turn there if you would. Revelation chapter 8, it says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And that's how we know there are no women in heaven. I'm just joking, I'm just joking. Just joking. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets, and then another angel having golden a censer came and he stood at the altar and he was given much incense that he should offer it notice with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before god from the angel's hand and then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, here it is, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. You see, when the prayers go up, the lightning, the thunder, the voices, God starts moving. All that comes down. And that's why it's so important to pray have you prayed, God, help me. God, forgive me. God, I, I need you. What is, your, what is your situation? Let it rise before the Lord, that like sweet incense, and it comes into you know, his nostrils, and then, and then lightnings and thunderings and, and voices. All, all God has to do in your situation is speak over it, and you watch what happens. You know, the, the voices, it's plural. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It even mentions the seven spirits right there, right? In Isaiah 11, verse 2, this is the Holy Spirit, you guys, working on your behalf. 
You know, James chapter 4, verse 2, you know what it says? It says, sometimes you don't have because you don't ask. But also, sometimes it's just a matter of waiting on the Lord. Because in his perfect timing, he will answer your prayers. And so here we see God ruling from the throne, largely in response to prayer. We see the voices of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, God's works and God's works. We see the seven lamps uh, and the seven spirits of God burning on our behalf. And then we see in verse 6 that before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. Okay, so can you visualize that? It's kind of like if I could just say, and I don't know if this will help you at all, but you know, I know you guys love this carpet right here, um, but we're going to get new carpet, you know? It's going to be really cool. It's going to be different. And so here's the throne and, you know, the diamond and, and the, the ruby or sardis and jasper, you know, it's just so beautiful. You've got the, the, the rainbow around the throne. You've got the 24 you know, thrones around it. And then when you look at the, like, what's the throne on? It's a sea of glass. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's probably a couple of aspects. Number one, the sea in the Bible, it represents the mass of humanity. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 13, it says the beast, the Antichrist, will rise up out of the sea. And so there might be an aspect, although it's not in heaven, there is a picture of God ruling over the mass of humanity. Satan is under his feet. And so that might be the sea of glass. But also the sea, it, it also might, when you look at it, I don't know if you guys have ever gone water skiing or not, you know, when the sea is like super smooth, it's just beautiful, right? And you go water skiing on that and it's just awesome. You don't have to worry about going sideways or whatever, getting sunk. And what God is just saying is this, and I think this is really what he's saying ultimately. Listen, I know things are crazy down there. I mean, leading up to the rapture of the church and leading up to the tribulation period, leading up to the one world government, leading up to where the devil rules on earth, it is going to be crazy on earth. But there is this peace that we have, like this sea of glass. Because he is on the throne. And we know that. And when we look at this in light of all this, it, God intends to, to, to give us that, you know? You know, here we see that in the midst of all this that's going on, in, in verse 6, that there's the, around the throne, these four living creatures, they're, they're full of eyes, in front and back, kind of like your mom had eyes in the back of her head. And the first living creature we read was like a lion, the second like a calf, the third like a man, and the fourth like an eagle. And the four living creatures, they each had six wings, and they're full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night. And here they are saying, holy, holy, holy. And so what are those things? A lot of people ask me, that's probably the most common question. Who are the four? What are the four living creatures in Revelation chapter 4? And my answer to them is they're the four living creatures of Revelation 4. They are, they are like a cherubim. They're the, these angelic creatures. You can compare them to Ezekiel chapter 1. They're identified specifically in Ezekiel chapter 10. 
In Isaiah chapter 6, the ones with the six wings are specifically identified as seraphim. These are angelic beings. And what we find is as, as God is saving the world in the last days, as God is moving in Ezekiel, the, the, the cherubim, they have these wheels that are spinning like crazy. And you're like, well, what, are that, what does that symbolize? It symbolizes the fact that God is moving. Can you see it? God is moving right now. When people are open, God is moving, God is saving, God is strengthening, God is doing something. God is sifting through the church. God is shaking it up. God is moving. And, and what we find is that in the midst of all this that's going on, I mean, we're talking about God using angels, using elders, using church people. All this is part of us worshiping and working. And you're like, well, why do these creatures have these funky faces you know why does one look like a lion why does one look like a, a cat why does one look like a man why does one look like an eagle and it's not you know because some people will say well what that is is you look at the four gospels matthew mark luke and john matthew is jesus the king he's a lion you know mark is jesus the servant that's an ox Luke is Jesus the man, that's the man, and then John is Jesus as God, that's the eagle. And so some would mistakenly, have, you know, somehow say this is Jesus. No, it's not Jesus. It's just the angels bearing the image of Jesus. It's the angels preaching the name of Jesus. The angels not necessarily preaching, but moving in such a way that we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're presenting him to the world. And that's all it is. And that's what we do. I just... I don't have anything to give. I have, I'm just a man. I'm just a man. But I want to point you to Jesus. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who died for you on the cross. He loves you. And that's all these, you know, creatures are, are part of. The Bible talks about how angels are ministering servants to those who would inherit salvation. And they have eyes all over themselves. And you're like, well, why do they have eyes all over themselves? And most people believe it's because those are, that's the, the vision that God gives. Because there's no one else who's omniscient other than God. And he gives them that. And that's how he leads his people. These cherubim are so fascinating. One day, you know, we'll see them. And I like that what Stephen Curtis Chapman said, because do you guys ever think about one day, you know, you're going to probably talk to angels? You guys ever think about that? You know, because the Bible does talk about conversations that angels have had with people on this side of time. So one day I'm going to sit down, I'm going to have a cup of coffee with one of the angels, right? And I'm going to say, hey, um, Mr. Angel, tell me what it was like when God created the world. And they're going to tell me, right, because they were there. And then you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, hey, Mr. Manny, tell me a story of grace. What's grace? Oh, grace is when you blow it. And I did that a lot when I was on earth. I blew it a lot. But God forgave me. And God never gave up on me. This is why I love him. This is why I want people to know him. Because the Bible talks about, and we're, it's interesting because we're talking about this whole aspect of salvation. You go back to when they built the tabernacle 
and the cherubim were everywhere. You go back to when they built the temple and the cherubim were everywhere. You go back into the Ark of the Covenant, you go into the Holy of Holies, and what you'll see is the Ark of the Covenant there, which is where the blood was sprinkled once a year, the high priest would go in, and you see two cherubim right here, and they're both looking at the Ark of the Covenant, and Peter tells us what they're doing, is they're looking into it, because they can't understand how God would die for us. They can't understand grace. And so this whole beautiful picture of us in the last days, and again, I don't, I, I don't know for sure. So I, if you're a young person here, like, you know, you're like, well, man, he said, you know, 60 years ago, you lived 60 years, and the Lord was coming, and he was wrong. You know, I, I just, I don't know for sure. No one knows the day or the hour. But all I'm trying to say to you is it sure seems like this is the season of the Lord's return. And so with that in mind, God, he shows us this picture and he says, man, that whole time of me moving and lightnings and thunderings and voices and cherubim and the whole context of the rapture, I want you to be a part of it. And that's why it's kind of cool the way that this whole thing works because um, these creatures, what do they do? It says that they do not rest day or night saying, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Well, what are they saying? They're saying a message that needs to be heard today. Number one, God is holy. It's his overriding attribute. Number two, God is almighty. He's on the throne and he's got all power. And number three is the God who is and who was and who is to come. You need to tell the world, get ready. Jesus is coming. You know, we see this here, and what we find together, we worship the Lord who is worthy. Because it's interesting, as these you know, cherubim are doing that work, whenever they worship the Lord in such a beautiful way, then the 24 elders also fall down. And, you know, you can visualize them taking their crowns and throwing them to the Lord. And, and what that is, is our response to this whole thing in verse 11 again you are worthy O lord to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created what i what i believe with all my heart is that in this context of our creator next chapter our redeemer that we should worship How do you worship God? Your life. Your life. You know, you, you work, you serve. It starts at home, usually with your family. And then it goes on beyond that to aspects of giftedness and talents and ministry. And that's what these angels are doing. And that's why we see them, you know, presenting Jesus the way they do, and not that they're preaching again, but that they're moving things so that the Lord would be heard. And, and I encourage you, you know, that we got to do the same thing, you guys. We have to give him the glory and the honor because why? He, he made us. You know, sometimes I talk to people and they, for whatever reason, they think they're, they're, you know, God's wrong in some type of decision that he's making or 
you know, they disagree or whatever the case may be. And, and I just try to tell them, I don't, the simple fact is he's our creator. He's our maker. We're going to see next chapter he's our redeemer. And, and with that, I don't know, I pray you trust him. I pray you serve him. I pray you love him. I pray you be obedient as his church, his bride. You know, I was thinking about um, my, my wife when she went to the endodontist and, uh, you know, they told her uh, that she had to have the root canal done right away because there was an infection in her mouth and, uh, you know, they said that it can be fatal. Well, there's another infection that's fatal and that, that infection is sin, right? And unless we, you know, give our lives to Christ and yield to him, uh, we will perish. But when we look at the Lord and we see him as this, you know, this jasper, this diamond, this beautiful and white and pure, you might wonder, well, how can I ever live up to that? How can I ever make it to heaven? And the answer is, I believe with all my heart, with the other stone that's revealed, the Sardis stone, and that is the red, and that is the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins. So I pray that you guys will have given your life to him and that um, by his blood, by faith in Jesus Christ who loved you, died for you, rose again, by you placing your faith in him, that you would be saved.